Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined this week by Solis Chukwu in Lagos, Nigeria and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we look at Ivory Coast forward Sebastian Haller's incredible scoring form for Ajax in the UEFA Champions League with nine goals in five group games. Also, we review the inaugural edition of the CAF Women's Champions League and we hear from the Togo coach Paolo Duarte as the team is in a rebuilding phase. The team was very, very motivated and it is also uh, those little things that give us confidence for the next qualification that are coming That's coming later, plus lots on the English Premier League, as Stewart says that Chelsea, Man City and Liverpool are looking in a different class this season. So Solis Chuku is our guest analyst in Nigeria on the show this week, as Ida's away. And let's start with a man who's no doubt the African star footballer of the week. That's Ivory Coast and Ajax striker Sebastian Haller, who scored again for the Dutch club in the Champions League with two goals in the 2-1 win over Besiktas on Wednesday. And that's now nine goals in Haller's first five appearances in the Champions League. Uh, this is phenomenal scoring form, Solis. Oh yes, Steve. Um, Sebastian Ale is having a fantastic year with Ajax since he joined back in January from West Ham. Um, his brace on Wednesday made him the player with the most goals in his first five Champions League matches. It's a dubious sort of start, to be honest, but it's a very um, neat way to capture quite how well he's doing. It's something of a mystery why he did not hit the heights in England. Uh, the prevailing theory seems to be that he did not fit David Moyes' style of forward, and you can see that to a degree. Um, Ale is not the quickest or most physical, despite his size. And um, as we've seen from Michael Antonio flourishing as a striker for the Hammers, those are very important attributes for a team that mostly sets up to play on the counter-attack. At Ajax, it's very different. The system is all about keeping possession and probing for gaps in the wide areas and the half spaces and cutting the ball back for the striker to finish. So instead of having to hold off two centre-backs on his own inside the centre circle when the ball is dropping from from the sky, he's able to play quick combinations on the edge of the box before attacking the six-yard area to score. Um, this has really brought the best out of him and 20 million I spent to acquire him is already looking... Uh, like the bargain of the century. Um, really, and this is probably not much of an exaggeration, but perhaps it might not be too optimistic to talk of an Africa Football of the Year shout here, Steve. Yes, Sebastian Haller must be a contender with those Champions League statistics. Right to the CAF Women's Champions League next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And South Africa's Mamelodi Sundowns Ladies won the inaugural edition of the Women's Champions League, beating Hazakas Ladies of Ghana 2-0 in the final in Cairo last weekend. Andy Siwe-Ngoy had a great game. She had tears of joy after the match. Firstly, I would, would like to thank God for the strength that he gave it to me. Thinking of as a striker, since the tournament has started, I've been scoring a goal. So now I believe when they say it's not how you start, it's how you finish. I'm just so emotional. I'm just so emotional because this is what we wanted. Yeah, great celebrations there. And what do you think about how this first ever CAF Women's Champions League went, Solis? 
The first ever CAF Women's Champions League was a bit of a mixed bag, all things concerned. Um, on the field of play, the quality was reasonably good, and it's safe to say Mamlodi Sundowns were deserved winners. However, off the field is where there were some issues. There has clearly been a clamor for this competition for quite a while, but um, in terms of the organization, some things were not quite um, clear. For example, the zoning system of pre-qualification was a little difficult to understand. Um, I assume that CAF did not want a situation where teams from countries that do not have a decent level in women's football would make their way to the main competition and then get thrashed, which is fair enough, I guess. You do not want to devalue your shiny new tournament. But if the aim is to elevate and grow the game on the continent, surely teams would benefit from a more open field in which to test themselves. Um, then having eight teams from all of Africa also give the competition a bit of an um, underpowered feel, really. On the whole, it seemed like it was more of a move designed to pacify or deflect criticism, which perhaps explains why they seem to be building the house from the roof down. Um, in my opinion, there's a lot more work to be done developing the women's club game on the continent that is being ignored in favour of prioritising a Champions League format. OK, so Solis not convinced about the implementation, but saying the action was good on the pitch. Solis Chuku, our guest analyst in Lagos, Nigeria, on Planet Sport Football Africa this week. And on the Women's Champions League, we have this voice note from a listener in the Gambia. That's Cherno Jalo. I believe the CAF Women's Champions League organised in Egypt is a good initiative and it will go a long way in developing the female game in Africa. Furthermore, I believe it will create market for young talented women footballers. It is better late than never, as it is said, but we have a long way to go when you come to female football. And this one is just the beginning of the beginning of a brighter future, I believe, for female football in Africa. There will be light at the end of the tunnel. Thanks there to Cherno Jalo, impressed with the inaugural edition of the CAF Women's Champions League. Right now, while some teams are getting ready for the Africa Cup of Nations finals in January, and while some are still in the race to qualify for the World Cup next year, others are back to a rebuilding phase. Togo didn't qualify for the Nations Cup, and they were second behind Senegal in their World Cup qualifying group, falling well short, but having some decent results along the way, finishing off with a 1-0 away win over Namibia. Now, in one of the biggest surprises in African football, Togo qualified for the 2006 World Cup finals in Germany when Emmanuel Adebayor was their talisman. The Sparrowhawks are coached by Paolo Duarte, who's Portuguese, and speaking through a translator, he gave his assessment of where the team is right now. Like I said before, our main objective was not to to uh, necessarily qualify for the next round because it is a new team. Uh, Togo had difficulties in the last past five years. It was very, very difficult for, for the team. And we knew the, the difficulties of, of, of the team also. But we won battles of tough games. We got tough games before this game and uh, we won those battles also. It is the fourth game in a row without defeat uh, for, for the team. So the team was very, very motivated. And it is also... Uh, those little things that give us confidence 
for the next qualification that are coming because I have, I've gone to 2023 that are coming. So, so this kind of victories give us more confidence so that we can get into the next year and into the next qualification with so much uh, motivation and confidence with all the difficulties uh, that the team had before he, he came in to Togo. He knew the difficulties, but he wanted to, to build a new team. Uh, also, uh, when you see the qualification, there were some games that we had to, to win at home. Even the last game against Senegal at home, we, we had to win that game. We considered the goal at the end, at the end of the, the match. So it was difficult, it was difficult, but when you put those things together, we think that we could have more points that we have today. But we, we, we know the, uh, the challenges of this team since the beginning. So we're very happy at the end of this qualification. And like he said also, uh, he's gonna be, uh, going home with confidence so that to build the team for the next qualification to come. So that's the Togo coach Paolo Duarte. How do you see the future for the team, Salis? I think the appointment of Paolo Duarte has been a real positive for Togo, Steve. Under Claude Lois, they failed to win a single match in Africa Cup of Nations qualifying, and that was in a group that featured um, Kenya and Comoros. I mean, that paints a real picture for you of where they were at, and it was really obvious that something needed to change. It's really just a shame they waited as long as they did to make that change, uh, perhaps out of respect for the legacy and accomplishments of the war in Africa. Things do now seem to be looking up. Um, Duarte has already delivered on his promise to make the team quicker and more aggressive and ultimately more competitive, even though he did acknowledge it was probably too soon to be thinking of qualifying for the next round of World Cup qualifying. It's worth pointing out, though, that there are some questions that will need to be addressed if Togo are to make a proper fist of qualifying for the 2023 AFCON, which you would assume would be their aim at the moment. Uh, the first is that the team does not score enough goals. Uh, Plakafesu has been outstanding and scored in three of Togo's last four matches, but really, the Sparrowhawks need more from the likes of um, Ilas Bebu and Kojo Laba and need to be better at making scoring chances on the whole. Um, you'd also say they need a reliable left-back to balance the team in defence as well as going forward. Uh, today, Duarte has had to play players out of position just to cover that particular role. Um, if they can find solutions to these and they can keep the form they showed in the final four matches of World Cup qualifying, they could be back mixing it up with the continent's big boys pretty soon. So it could be better times ahead for Togo, and it's been tough for them since Emmanuel Adebayor retired, Salis. Emmanuel Adebayor was without doubt a great player. Buoyed by his goals and the leadership of the uh, late great Stephen Keshi on the bench, Togo were able to rise above their station in making the 2006 World Cup. It was an especially talented group of players too, with uh, Mohamed Kubaja and Sheriff Mamam Touri and the like, but um, it was always unlikely to lead to something sustained in the long term. Uh, that said, as I previously mentioned in Bebu, uh, who plays in Germany for Hoffenheim, um, Jenny, who is uh, based in Spain with La Liga Sai Getafe, and UAE-based Laba, who plays for Alain. With players like this, Togo have a quite decent crop going forward this time. And while it doesn't measure up to that 2006 group, it's worth paying attention to this group in its own right. 
Yes, we'll see how Togo do in the coming years. Thanks a lot to our guest analyst Solis Chukwu in Lagos, in Nigeria. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stewart on the English Premier League, analysing Manchester United's decision to fire manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Then you have all of our shows at your fingertips. Now to social media. Last week we asked, would you fire a coach early in the season? As the English Premier League resumed last weekend, three clubs had new managers. Dean Smith at Norwich, Stephen Gerrard at Aston Villa and Eddie Howe at Newcastle. And remember Watford and Tottenham also fired their managers early in the season. And of course last weekend Manchester United fired Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So we asked, what do you think? Should clubs be patient or is it best to get a new manager if you make a bad start to the season? With your thoughts, here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ash Tikiwa. Thanks, Steve. We had a great response with some strong views on this one. And a lot of people referred to the firing of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Let's start with James Olatunje Rob in Sierra Leone, who says, My opinion is that it depends on the strength of the club. There's no specific time written down of firing any coach. If a team hire a coach and they see that the coach's system is not working, why keep him there? Ole is not good enough. So what was the reason of them keeping him there? When a coach is underperforming after 10 games, he should be sacked. In Malawi, Francisco Dodoma says this is no new trend in football. I would certainly support the decision if the team performs poorly. In the Gambia, Bobby says, I'm an Arsenal fan and I'm pleased with the manager. And so I just believe that they should give more time to them. Yes, the Gunners easily could have fired Mikel Arteta after a bad start to the season, but that was followed by a good run. Mbemba Baro agrees with Bobby and Ebrima Conte says, My take on the issue is that clubs should have patience with their managers and give them enough time. Lamim Jaju from the Gambia says patience is the key to success. I am a gunner. And there's a voice note from Mohamed Bar. I don't think I will absolutely, you know, fire a coach in early in the season because it has a lot of disadvantages that um, than advantages. But again, it depends, you know, on which club we are talking about here. Because I remember Dean Smith absolutely at Aston Villa was also very struggling in the early stages. So they had the Aston Villa board has to get rid of him and bring in Steven Gerrard, you know, and of course he won his first game in charge of the club. So. That's a perfect start for him, but uh, it is not absolutely ideal to fire a coach in the early time of the season. But Ebrima Sano says that it's best to fire immediately. And Moma says they all deserve to be sacked. Investment was made and they should deliver. Musa Kamara says EPL clubs should not be patient because clubs pay the coaches lots of money and that Watford, Tottenham, Aston Villa, Norwich and Newcastle are now having good results. And Musa adds that Manchester United were too late to sack Solskjaer. And we got this voice note from Monday Wab Francis in Uganda. Sometimes clubs should be patient on the managers because it doesn't take hours or days or weeks to get good results. Anything can happen. But another problem was, was the club presidents or club owners, they're not patient because they are, they're under pressure, at times they're under pressure, uh, the interests of the club and even the fan base sometimes. Ebrima in the Gambia agrees. 
My take on the issue is that clubs should have patience with their managers and give them enough time. I think clubs want early success, says Abrima. Adama says most of the time I question the players, not the coaches. It's sad, but that's football nowadays, says Adama. Haruna Cham from the Gambia agrees, saying that most the problem is that the players are not ready to play for the coach. Then the only way is to fire the manager. Alpha Jalo says Aston Villa were really not playing well, but with the coming of Gerard, I can see the zeal and hunger in the same old team managed by Dean Smith. Jeffrey in Uganda says, I wonder how one defines a bad start to the season. Take an example of Manchester United. Is 8th position really a bad start to the season? Clubs need to exercise some patience. Chimex says clubs should be patient, but not in all cases, because every club must have a target of either promotion or a trophy. Keba Jalong Sane says club owners should leave the coach to do their job. Modu G.J. Colley thinks that managers need time, but Ando Emma in Ghana says if there's no bit of consistency in results, I'll fire. Moses in Malawi says results are what supporters and sponsors look for. It's never best of things if a team is losing. Look at Chelsea. It pays to react. Moses in the Gambia says Ole should have been sacked at the start of the season. Buba Saidi Khan says it will be for the betterment of the team. And Burang says, I think football is all about results. So if things are not going well, there should be a change. Modu Lamin Baji says, I think firing the coach should be the last option to teams. And K-Boy says, well, if the club gives the coach what he demands and he ends up not delivering, then let them sack him. Alassana Drame says, I don't support the idea of sacking the managers at the start of the season. They should be given the chance. Bizwek in Malawi says it's good to take out a coach at the early stages. If the coach is not having results in the first five to six games, it's good to part ways. Modu comes in and says I would definitely fire any coach who is not delivering, regardless the time span. And Cheno Jalo agrees, saying Michael Carrick won his first game in charge of Manchester United. And let's give a final word to Alimami Fofana in the Gambia with this voice note. You cannot expect a coach to come just every time he win, he win, he win, he win. There must be a losing match, even Pep, Pep of all people. Sometimes he lose. They have to give them time. For example, look out our um, team Manchester United, because I am a United fan. And when this coach came, he was doing well. But suddenly when things change, they just shake it. Change the coach. How long you are going to do this? In the middle of the season, when a new coach comes, he's going to change the whole system. So this is not a good idea in my own takeover. So Steve, lots of reviews and theories here, and a lot of listeners feel that it's better to be patient with a coach, but others would happily fire him early in the season, as six EPL clubs have done. Thanks, Ash. That's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ash Tikiwa. Uh, let's zoom in more on Manchester United now as we look more at the English Premier League and the UEFA Champions League, joined by our European football expert Stuart Weir in the UK. So United are appointing Ralph Rangnick as their interim manager for the rest of the season on a six-month contract. Uh, he's from Germany. He won't be in charge this weekend as United play away to Chelsea in the big match of the weekend. And this will be United's first league match since the firing of manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Stuart. Well, Steve, we knew it was coming, but somehow it was still a shock when Manchester United announced that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had been fired as manager. 
It was the nature of the defeat at Watford, a club fighting for survival in the Premier League, that brought it to a head. And it was the third time in a month that Manchester United had conceded four or more goals in the Premier League, something which hadn't happened previously since 1961. And then David De Gea said in an after-match interview, we don't know what to do with the ball, we don't know how to defend properly. Well, that just was the final nail in the coffin. We understand that Manchester United do not have a replacement in mind, apparently showing a loyalty and integrity not normally associated with the club's owners at Lasers. They apparently felt it inappropriate to send out any other manager while they still had one. Henry Winter, one of the UK's top football writers, described Solskjaer as a good man but a limited manager, which seemed a fair summary. Solskjaer is, of course, a Manchester United legend as a player, but he had very limited management experience when he was appointed in December 2018. That, you will recall, was just after Jose Mourinho had been fired, and the club wanted to restore its traditional values. So, in a way, you could say Solskjaer was appointed as interim manager until... uh, a permanent replacement could be found, as much to restore the club as the team. Well, he could hardly have started better, going from late December 2018 to March 2019 without losing. And Solskjaer suddenly had the job on a permanent basis. But when Manchester United then won only two of their last 12 games that season, people began to wonder if the board had acted prematurely. But even last season, Solskjaer did well, with the team finishing second in the Premier League, losing the final of the Europa League only on penalties. And Solskjaer was allowed to spend big in the summer. But things seemed just to have got worse. And when he left, United were eighth in the league table. But when you compare Manchester United and Solskjaer with Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp, Manchester City with Pep Guardiola and Chelsea with Thomas Tuchel and even Tottenham with Antonio Conte, all managers with experience of coaching big clubs and superstar players. Solskjaer was simply not in the same league as any of them and ultimately you might say he was found out. So former player and assistant to Solskjaer, Michael Carrick, is in temporary charge and he started with an impressive win away to Villarreal in the Champions League As to who will be appointed as permanent manager next summer, the list is as long as your arm. I've read about Mauricio Pochettino, Zinedine Zidane, Laurent Blanc, Brendan Rodgers, Eric Ten Hag, all apparently in the frame. But I'll tell you one thing, Steve, whoever is in charge this weekend, I bet they would wish for an easier fixture than going to Chelsea, the league leaders. Uh, Yes, certainly. So Michael Carrick uh, probably will be in charge before Ralph Rangnick takes over for the rest of the season as interim manager. Thanks, Stuart. Uh, Stay with us. And this week we're asking on social media, who do you think Manchester United should appoint as their permanent manager? Uh, Having fired Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and with Ralph Rangnick coming in to the end of the season, uh, who do you think should take over permanently from next season? Should it be a former player like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or is a more established coach a better option you can go to our facebook page and post your comment there that's planet sport football africa or send us a whatsapp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero that's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero who do you think manchester united should appoint as a permanent manager 
Okay, Stuart. Let's talk about Liverpool. An absolutely devastating four-nil win over Arsenal last weekend, and then thrashing Juventus by the same margin in the UEFA Champions League. Yeah, I thought last weekend's results were perhaps the most fascinating set of results this season, giving us a lot of clues as to how the season is likely to end. Now, we talked last week about how Liverpool Arsenal was fourth against fifth and how Arsenal were in an excellent run of results, but they were absolutely blown away by Liverpool, beaten 4-0. And that is a result which certainly showed us that Liverpool are very serious title contenders. Mo Salah and Sadio Mane both scored, and that's the 28th time that the two Africans have scored in the same Premier League game. The only two players who've done more than that are Bobby Charlton and George Best for Manchester United, way back in the 1960s and 70s. And similarly, Chelsea going to Leicester City looked a tricky game. But Leicester again were completely outplayed, two down in half an hour, beaten 3-0. That leaves Chelsea top of the league with most points, the best goal difference, and very much looking the team to beat. And as you say, they demolished Juventus, one of the top teams in Europe, 4-0 this week. But if you actually look at Chelsea's last eight games in the Premier League or Champions League, it's it's awesome. Played eight, won seven, drew one, goals for 27, goals against two. A remarkable run of form. And on Sunday, as you say, at home to Manchester United. Manchester City beat Everton 3-0 to reinforce the view that there really is a significant gap between Chelsea, City and Liverpool and the rest of the Premier League. I think Chelsea are the team to beat, but it promises to be a really fascinating Premier League season. And at the bottom of the table, Norwich City were obviously listening last week when I said their home game against Southampton was a must-win game, and they duly obliged with a 2-1 win in Dean Smith's first game in charge. Honestly, with Norwich winning and Newcastle United just drawing, Newcastle now find themselves bottom of the table with six draws and six defeats. Poor old Eddie Howe, their new manager, had to watch the game on television because he has COVID. The transfer window, I'm afraid, just cannot come quickly enough for Newcastle. By the way, Steve, I knew you'd be interested to know this, but Newcastle's last three home games, they've had three different managers, and each time they've conceded three goals. And despite another goal for Maxwell Corney, Burnley could only draw with Crystal Palace, meaning that they now slip into the bottom three. But with Leeds United, Watford, Aston Villa, Brentford and Southampton just above the relegation zone of Newcastle, Norwich and Burnley, but very much looking over their shoulders, I think the battle to avoid relegation could be just as exciting as the race to be champions. Yeah, I must say the Ivory and Maxwell Corne really, really impressing because the quality of the goals that he's scoring are absolutely superb. Uh, so for Stuart, Chelsea, Man City and Liverpool in a different class in the English Premier League. A bit more on the Champions League then. It's shaping up with one more round of group games to go. Uh, Man City, an important 2-1 win over Paris Saint-Germain, Stuart. Well, yes, um, we have a good idea now about most of the 16 teams that will qualify for the knockout stage. The four English clubs, Manchester City and United, Chelsea and Liverpool, are all safely through, with Paris Saint-Germain, Ajax of Amsterdam, Real Madrid, Juventus, Inter Milan and Bayern Munich. And not only are the four English clubs qualifying, but probably all four of them will qualify as group winners. 
Barcelona are in real danger of going out. In their final game, they're away to Bayern Munich, and if Benfica beat Dinamo Kiev, Barcelona will need to win in Germany to avoid being eliminated. There are two fascinating groups going into the last fixtures, where in Group G, any of Lille, Salzburg, Seville and Wolfsburg could go through, and similarly, in Group B, where Porto, AC Milan and Atletico Madrid are fighting for just one place. But, you know, talking about how well the English clubs are doing, apart from Bayern Munich, the other German clubs have struggled, with Leipzig already out and Dortmund and Wolfsburg struggling to make it. Similarly, Italian clubs, AC Milan, Atalanta, have it all to do in the final round to qualify. Now, Spain had five clubs, but so far it's really quite conceivable that only Real Madrid will make the last 16, with Seville, Villarreal, Barcelona and Atletico all facing very tricky final games. Now, just going back to the Manchester City PSG game, I saw an interview with Messi saying that everyone thinks PSG are the favourites for the Champions League. Well, I don't. Manchester City gave them a lead and still won comfortably. To me, PSG look unbalanced with Messi, Mbappé and Neymar up front, but no one of that quality behind them. I think the favourites for the Champions League is one of the English clubs. Well, we'll see. Certainly those Spanish clubs are not looking as threatening as in the past few seasons in the UEFA Champions League. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers and Ash Tikiwa in Harare, uh, from our guest analyst Solis Chuku in Lagos, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.